This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. Well, the world has been paying a lot of attention to China lately with the growing health crisis of the spreading coronavirus. But why is the world turning a blind eye to China when it comes to its crimes against its own people, which include imprisonment, organ harvesting, and even execution? My next guest, Wesley J. Smith, recently wrote about this over at the American Spectator in a great piece called The Fourth Reich. Wesley is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, where he heads up the Center on Human Exceptionalism. And his blog on human exceptionalism is great over at National Review Online. His latest book is the newly updated and revised edition of Culture of Death, The Age of Do Harm Medicine. Wesley, wonderful to have you with us again. How are you? Thanks, Janet. How are you? And hello to your listeners. Well, I'm fine, although this is a really important question that you've raised in this piece. Why is the world largely turning a blind eye when it comes to what China is doing to all kinds of religious groups, Christians, Muslims, and and others? This is, uh, I don't even have the words to talk about how horrible it is over there in China right now. Yeah, I entitled the piece The Fourth Reich uh, for an obvious reason. Uh, We are seeing Literally, you know, the term Nazis thrown around way too loosely. But in this particular circumstance, it is not loose to say this is Third Reich kind of behavior. The persecution by the Chinese communists against particular religious groups, the Falun Gong, the Uyghurs and Christians, uh, is truly barbaric in, in, in the first two and uh, very insidious in social persecution with regard to Christians. Right, exactly. What well, and you say this just appears to have gotten started. Tell tell people what's been going on. How far back does this go? Because the, the Falun Gong, I know, goes back a while, but now it's ramping up, and people are a little confused about why that is. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I, I uh, in preparation for this piece, I talked to some experts uh, who've been following this for quite a long time. And the consensus that I found is that the Communist Party wishes to have no competitors. And, of course, we all know that religious faith uh, can bring one to a state of a higher belief than perhaps uh, the communist government, right? Right. And so they don't want to have a competitor. And the first group they went after was is relatively obscure before the persecution, the Falun Gong. Uh, that's a uh, kind of like a Tai Chi a situation. It's a it's a philosophy more than it is a religion. It comes out of Buddhism, uh, and uh, practitioners will use uh, uh, Tai Chi type movements, reading the uh, words of the founder of the movement and the, uh, meditation, this kind of thing. And when the Chinese in the 90s tried to basically force the Falun Gong to hew a particular Communist Party approach, and they refused, that's when the persecution began. And this isn't just putting people in jail uh, as political prisoners. These people are being tissue-typed, and when people go to China to buy a liver or buy a heart or buy a kidney, 
The Falun Gong are, if the right tissue type exists, the Falun Gong practitioner will be murdered and harvested, and that kidney or that liver sold uh, to the person who is on the black market. And and uh, when I first got into this, I was yelling about Americans going over to China to buy organs, saying, you know, I'm sorry, even though if you're afraid of dying, there are certain things you should not do. Right. And one of the things you should not do is go over and basically pay to have somebody killed to save your life. Ugh. I mean, that's a that's a despicable thing. And, and there was even a book, you know, supposedly a, a, the New York Times called it a comedic tour de force called Larry's Kidney where a fellow wrote a book about how he uh, went to China and bought a kidney for his cousin Larry. And I thought, gee, I bet the Falun Gong who was uh, murdered for that was having a laugh riot. Right. But, but uh, the, the Falun Gong um, uh, travesty, this incredible human rights violation, got a lot of attention. There, were, uh, there was a fellow named David Kilgore, who's a former member of parliament in Canada, a human rights lawyer. They, they started doing reports. You know, it's very hard to get into China to, to actually study this, but you had uh, testimony from Falun Gong uh, relig- um, relatives who said they got their, their body of their loved one and it had been harvested. Uh, doctors who actually testified there was some secret recordings and so forth. If people wish to see the details, they can uh, Google Wesley J. Smith and then Falun Gong and F-A-L-O-N and J-O-N-G-O-N-G. And those uh, articles I wrote about that will come up. Well, then, in, in more recent years, the last, say, five or seven, the uh, Chinese have gone after the Uyghurs. Now, the, there are about 11 to 20 million Uyghurs. These are Muslims in the west part of the country, which is pretty remote from anything that a Westerner can get to, you know, from either Europe or from the United States. It's way off in, in nowhere land for us. And um, so there are 11 to 20 million Uyghurs. Apparently, there have been a few terrorist incidents, but it's not like the entire, there's not a lot of terrorism in China. Well, they're putting these people in concentration camps, literal concentration camps. It is thought that perhaps a million, even more, Uyghurs are being put in concentration camps, which are, they're not death camps like Auschwitz, but they are being subjected to murder. They're being subjected to uh, deprivation uh, of, um, against the rules of international law, torture, their children are being taken from them, rape, uh, their stories about sex trafficking, and so forth. And we know that this is true because our satellites can take pictures of these camps. <laughs> and, and once again, you have the Chinese communists saying, oh, well, you know, we don't want them to have a higher loyalty to Islam than they do to us. And so they're going after the Uyghurs who are Muslims. And, and they're also a, uh, an ethnic minority in China. And then what's been happening much more recently is the uh, attack on Christians. Yes. Now, the attack on Christians in some ways is more insidious because it's less obvious and it's, uh, and it's less brutal in terms of jackboot stuff. But it is, it is, I think, perhaps more effective. You know, if you go to a Christian and you say, who's really faithful, and you say, either you denounce Christ or I'll kill you, you know, that's something Christians have been dealing with for 2,000 years. Yes. And, uh, and uh, there are many, many, many martyrs uh, who said, fine, kill me, I'm not going to renounce Christ. But what if you, you knew that if you went to church and they took your picture, because the churches are forced to take pictures of parishioners, had your, uh, did a digital fingerprinting, 
that they had facial recognition technology using uh, uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms that you would get what's called a low social credit score. So they're beginning to create social credits on every person who lives in China through these high-tech technologies that are, it's not fully up and running yet, but it's getting there. And and some of our Western countries or companies such as uh, perhaps Google and others are actually helping develop these technologies that China is using to totally suppress their people. And so you're a Christian and, and and they say to you, look, if you go to church, we're going to give you social credit demerits. If you speak to other Christians, and we see that on the uh, on the, uh, the the video cameras that we have everywhere, we're going to give you some social credit demerits. And if you have too low a social credit score, not only are you not going to be able to rent an apartment, not only are you going to be fired from your job, but your children are going to be kicked out of university. You and your children are not going to be able to take public transportation. You are, in essence, going to be excommunicated from society, and you're going to have to live on your own. You're not going to be able to participate in any aspect of Chinese society. Well, that's that could be harder to resist than perfect than the um, you know direct idea of martyrdom. Right. That's true, too, especially the aspect of it that you mentioned, that what you do can have an effect on your kids. And most parents will say, well, if it's affecting my kids' future, maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing. But what a horrible situation for them to be in, totally Orwellian. It's it's Orwellian 1984 stuff, Brave New World stuff. And and the Chinese Communist Party, there are, by the way, more Christians in China than there are members of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but they don't want to have anything that would uh, interfere with their complete control over the Chinese people. Well, that's what it's about. We're going to pause and take a break. We'll be back with Wesley J. Smith talking about his great piece in American Spectator, The Fourth Reich. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today right after this. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. 
thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It is always good to read everything that Wesley Chase Smith writes. He writes over at National Review Online and has written a terrific piece called The Fourth Reich at American Spectator, all about the world turning a blind eye to China's crimes against the humanity of its own people. And Wesley's been outlining some of these religious groups, the Falun Gong and, of course, the Uyghurs, the Muslim population in the Western part, and Christians as well. And it's interesting, Wesley, because I've been reading a lot recently about what Christians are going through in China. They've been going into some of these churches now and saying, we don't like all 10 of those commandments. Get rid of the one that says you shall have no other gods besides me. And we sort of laugh as Western Christians, what we write, we're going to get rid of one of the commandments. But this is reality for these people. So in other words, is it the case now that the Chinese government is not even turning a blind eye to some of these churches that it has tolerated for quite a while? Yes, and apparently uh, that's relatively new. Some new laws were passed that basically uh, enabled this kind of persecution. Previously, you had uh, sort of like uh, unapproved uh, uh, house churches, you might say. Right. And the Ch- and the Chinese government knew they were there. You know, they would harass them to some degree, but they, they kind of left them alone. And then you began to see China saying, well, we're going to allow... Uh, people to go to church, but they have to be approved churches. So that, in essence, the Chinese government was in control of these approved churches, and there was a Catholic uh, approach to that, and then a Protestant approach to that. And now, they basically said the only churches you can go to are the approved churches, and which, uh, and then they're taking the uh, unapproved churches, they're uh, destroying the buildings, they're, they're arresting or engaging in the social uh, uh, persecution that we described earlier against mem- Christians who are not part of approved churches. They are uh, actually, I've read a story that they're even editing the Bible, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you go into the approved churches, uh, there's a, uh, uh, your picture is taken, and, and the, uh, the heads of the approved church, the, pa- the pastors and so forth, are actually spies for the communist government. And you saw this kind of thing back in the 20th century in the Soviet Union when the Eastern Russian Orthodox Church was devastated. You know, there were hundreds of thousands of, of Russian Orthodox priests who were martyred yeah. uh, in, in the name of the faith uh, by the Russians, and eventually the Russian Orthodox Church, it, it still existed in on paper, but it was controlled by the KGB. And you saw uh, in other communist countries the same kind of thing. So this is not something that hasn't been done before. But when you add in this social credit system to the idea that your church leaders, you know, are actually, and you know that they're actually working for the government, it leaves uh, leaves Christians in a very precarious place, even though they're not being rounded up and put in concentration camps, because that would create too much of a uh, hubbub, uh, and China needs business. And one of the things that I thought about as I was writing this piece 
is um, how do you get China to back off? You're never going to make it free, but perhaps you can you can you can uh, induce it, if you will, to kind of uh, moderate some of these really terrible practices. And uh, Donald Trump, I'm afraid, uh, is not uh, speaking out forcefully on this issue. He's very concerned about the uh, trade deals he's been making, uh, and and yet you find a, a company like Facebook, and I've had issues with Facebook. But Facebook refuses to bi- to do business in China because of China's censorship of the Internet. Yeah. You know, if you go to right. China, and I've been to China, uh, there's a lot of things you can't get when you're there on the Internet. It's totally blocked. And so Facebook said, look, we're not going to do business there because we don't believe in this kind of censorship. And I thought, what would happen? If companies like Apple in particular, which does so much of its manufacturing of its iPhones and iPads in China, uh, Boeing, which is very deeply involved with business in China, uh, the National Basketball Association, the NBA, hmm. a lot of money involved in China. What if they said, look, you know, we are getting really embarrassed by your human rights abuses. I mean, they, they've canceled, quote unquote, uh, South Carolina, for example, when they passed a bill, remember, saying that a, a man has to use a, men, a man's bathroom, uh, even if they identify as a woman. Yes. And remember the, the corporations screaming and howling, saying, we'll boycott your state. Yeah. Well, why can't they do the same thing over a far more, you know, I don't think that's an egregious human right violation at all. But even if I did think so, it would be mild. This is Third Reich stuff. And yet these businesses are very happy to do business there because money makes the world go round. But if we can start putting some focus on uh, on these companies that are doing business in this human rights violation, I'm going to uh, talk to some uh, – I've been talking – Yeah, I've actually been yelling at U.S. Senators, Janet, about this Good. Uh, at some meetings I've attended. And I'm hoping to see if uh, some of us who are here kind of concerned about this can get a, get a good hearing going where these companies can be called in and, and asked, why in the world are you helping the communist Chinese set up this social credit system? Why are you selling them this kind of technology? Why are you doing business in a country where people are put in concentration camps, where people can be uh, get, uh, basically excommunicated from society because they believe in Jesus Christ? Right. What, like Google. I mean, if Facebook can diss China, why can't Google diss them? Exactly. And it's t- and these tech companies that preen and talk about their moral superiority, and yet they do business with perhaps the most effective tyranny that's ever existed. Right. We've got to start speaking up as a people and letting these companies know that's unacceptable to us. In turn, hopefully they would say to China, look, we don't expect you to become a pure democracy, but this kind of religious persecution must cease. Absolutely. You know, your description, for example, with on the, of the or, organ harvesting that you've talked about just a few minutes ago is so horrific. You talk about one wife of a surgeon who removed corneas, you say, from about 2,000 prisoners. I mean, do they kill these people and then harvest them? Or, or is it a situation where they harvest organs while these people are alive? I almost don't want to know, but I'm just curious. Well, that brings up an interesting point. I don't know the answer to that question. But uh, one of the other things, as you know, that I deal with is the anti-human life values of bioethics and the bioethics movement. Yes. And there have been a lot of articles written in very prominent medical journals, things like the New England Journal of Medicine or the Journal of Medical Ethics, very prominent transplant article, uh, journal articles where, where these bioethicists have said, 
if euthanasia is legal, don't make and the, and there is conjoining, by the way, of organ harvesting and euthanasia in Canada. <laughs> Think about that. That's our closest cultural cousin. Horrible. Belgium and the Netherlands. And and there are articles now being said, well, don't bother with the lethal injection so they die first. Just you do the organ harvesting as the means of euthanasia because it'll create healthier organs for, for the transplant. We've got to be very careful that we don't turn our most vulnerable people into so many organ farms. Yeah. I mean, I you know, this piece goes after China, but we've got some potential problems of our own right here. Well, not only that, but when we're talking about the social credit system, why in the world couldn't that be implemented here as well in the future? Oh, you're, you're, I think you're, I think the cancel culture that we've seen, where people, if they said something supposedly wrong on, on social media, will be thrown off of social media or they could be fired from jobs. Yes. You're beginning to see a rudimentary, not government, uh, you know, uh, uh, organized, but you're seeing kind of an informal moral panic uh, from particular woke, quote-unquote, people who are trying to destroy freedom of thought in this country. Yeah, they are. What do you think President Trump ought to be doing? I know that he's very concerned with deals and trade deals and so forth, and that's kind of his wheelhouse. But on the other hand, I know he couldn't possibly be happy about what's going on as far as human rights abuses in China. What do you think would be helpful for him to do? He certainly isn't hesitant to be type A when it's needed. Why doesn't he act that way here? Yeah. Well, he has allowed, and, and to his credit, um, people like uh, Sam Brownback, who is the uh, State Department Ambassador for Religious Freedom, has spoken up very forcefully and rigorously on this. And, of course, that isn't done without permission. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo has as well, and I believe so has uh, Vice President Pence. But I would like to see President Trump actually begin to say, listen, you know, I, I believe in trade deals and so forth, but I don't see, you, you could put it this way, how are these companies going to do business with China when China is putting people in concentration camps? Right. Just a couple of statements would put both the business community and the Chinese on notice that he has noticed. And it would also, it seems to me, behoove him. I mean, we've, we are the country that has most promoted human rights in the world. And, and, and there's that term, never again about uh, the Holocaust. Well, if you now have Holocaust-type behavior going on, if not death camps, certainly Nazi-type behaviors, organ harvesting people for the, in selling their organs, um, you know, if, if never again is to have any meaning, it has to be in our own times. It's not just historical. Yes. This is not, this is not uh, being directed in an anti-Semitic way. And I, I would say it's probably because there aren't a lot of Jews in China. Yeah. But I, I think if there were a lot of Jews in China, China would be doing the same thing to the Jewish community because it has to do with going after any organized, um, uh, uh, let's say, belief that would supplant the Chinese as the first of the communists as the first loyalty of the people. And this is to trying to set up an absolute tyranny. And if it succeeds, because they're also doing something else. I was there in 16. I was shocked at how prosperous the place was. A lot of uh, brand names, Versace and, and Maserati. I mean, it was, it was, uh, when I was in Shanghai, it was like I was in Beverly Hills. I was just stunned. Um, and and so what they I, what it seemed to me at that time is that the Chinese government has done is they said okay we're going to try something different. The United States has always said if you have economic prosperity you're going to have to also have political freedom. 
And the Chinese are saying, no, I don't think that's true. We can give greater economic prosperity and still have complete uh, political tyranny as long as the people uh, have better housing, entertainment, you know, a lot of enough food and so forth. Scary times. You've got to read the Fourth Reich, spectator.org. Wesley J. Smith with us. Thank you so much, Wesley, for what you do. It was great to have you here. Thank you, Janet. All right. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, I am so glad to see the launch of this conservative Baptist network. Have you been paying attention to this story? This is fantastic. It's a grassroots movement that has just cropped up at the end of last week. Brad Jerkovich is a pastor and the spokesman for the Conservative Baptist Network. He's going to be on my program tomorrow, so you'll want to tune in again tomorrow and hear all about Brad's perspective on all of this. But the Conservative Baptist Network has just launched, and really the way you can summarize it, if you're going by the press release, is they're very concerned about the leftward woke drift in the Southern Baptist Convention, the critical race theory garbage, the intersectionality stuff, the redefining of biblical gender roles, the average human sexuality drift. All of these things have been concerning Bible-believing Baptists for a long time, and especially when the Resolution 9 passed at the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of years ago. Was it a year ago now? Anyway, uh, that was all about the critical race theory being used as an analytical tool, and Bible-believing Christians said, that's ridiculous. You don't need anything other than the Word of God as a tool by which you can judge what is right and wrong as Christians. And this has been an ongoing topic of debate, which is insane. I mean, you go back to 1979 with the first conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention, and a whole lot of Baptists who were present for all of that hullabaloo are saying this is the same thing all over again. It's just we've got new issues, we've got a new leftward drift, and in some ways it's more insidious because you have people who have made names for themselves as conservatives who are totally woke. And rightly so, people are saying this is bad. This is going to be destructive to the Southern Baptist Convention. There have been some concerns recently regarding this upcoming pastor's conference. They have a woman pastor who's going to be a part of it, and that's been a controversy. There have been all kinds of controversies, and rightly so. These people are right. They are potentially going to make a very big splash in the Southern Baptist Convention. So I commend them, and I think it's going to be really exciting to see what happens. I guess over the weekend, over 2,000 people already have joined the Conservative Baptist Network. They have really hit a nerve. And people have been talking about this for quite a while. Who is going to stand up against all this woke garbage? we got to do something about this. This is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. If the Southern Baptist Convention falls... That's going to be massive. We can't do this. And it's not just a matter of money. It's not just a matter of pensions, although I'm sure that's part of the equation. But people love their denomination. 
you have people who have been Southern Baptists not only their whole lives, but came from families who have been Southern Baptists for generations. They want to be Southern Baptists. That's their church. That's their denomination. They're not willing to walk away from a church that they would like to see return to the roots that made it what it was in the first place. And that was a Bible-believing denomination that was unabashedly scriptural. And I think this is going to be fantastic. Now, if you go through the press release, it says these pastors and laymen have launched this. This is a grassroots movement that developed organically in the hearts and minds of devoted Southern Baptists who have become concerned about the current direction and perceived future of the convention. And they cite things like critical race theory, intersectionality, et cetera, et cetera. What they really want to put emphasis on is evangelism and spiritual renewal. They cited the fact that Vice President Mike Pence came to the Southern Baptist Convention floor in Dallas in 2018. I was there, so I know that happened. And there were a lot of concerns. And they said when all attempts to keep the vice president from speaking failed, scores of messengers exited the convention in protest as the vice president began his address. The insolence and disrespect demonstrated by those who walked out on the vice president of the United States was foreign to what the Bible teaches about respecting those in authority in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 17. Then they cite Resolution 9. Yeah, that was last year. And they're very concerned about the critical race theory garbage. So what they're really wanting to do is put an emphasis on the Great Commission. They're not a new denomination. They're making an emphasis on that. They want the SBC to return to the Great Commission and return to being a biblical denomination. And I really think this is going to become a dividing line. I do. I, I was looking at some of these tweets that were put out by some of these big Southern Baptists. They're not even hiding their disdain. And, and I find this very interesting. One of the people who put out what I consider to be a very disdainful quote is Al Mohler. Now, if you don't know much about the Southern Baptist Convention, you probably know who Dr. Albert Moeller is because he's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. He's basically the Pope of the SBC. I know that that's a bad thing to say to Baptists, but I mean, functionally, there really isn't a bigger name in the Southern Baptist Convention than Al Moeller. Al Moeller made a name for himself years ago when he took on the presidency at that seminary and he got rid of the liberals. And he was a big hero. He became a huge conservative hero to people. But as you know, and as I have pointed out on my show on many occasions, he started out as a liberal. And if you go to that PBS documentary that was done at the time about the battle at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he had friends saying he's an opportunist. They didn't fully believe he was really a conservative. They said he was a liberal, but, you know, here at Southern, if you have the weather vane turning, there's a joke that now we know what we're going to teach today. Depends on which way the wind is blowing. This is what they said in the in the documentary. And I'm not saying that everything that was said in the documentary is absolute truth. This is just what was said by some of the people who knew him. This matters because now he's been tolerating all this woke stuff. And a whole lot of people have said, what happened here? Well, you're supposed to be the conservative hero. Well, here's what he tweeted out after the announcement that the Conservative Baptist Network had launched. He said this, the real network of Southern Baptists is called the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to meet June 9th and 10th in Orlando. I look forward to joining you there. Isn't that interesting? He is going to be nominated as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
My thoughts on that particular appointment or that particular plan is that he still retains so much of a conservative reputation among Southern Baptists that the conservatives overwhelmingly probably will vote for him because, oh, Al Mueller, okay, well, that'll stop the leftward drift because a lot of people don't know that the leftward drift has happened by him aiding and abetting it. Russell Moore would never be the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission without Al Mohler. He he was at his seminary, their buddies. He supported him. He gave a supportive speech at the time that he took over the ERLC. I have never seen him make one public comment critical of Russell Moore, who has done so much damage in that position and has been such an embarrassment for Southern Baptists in the way that he has treated President Trump, in the way that he has insulted conservatives in the last several years. Al Mohler hasn't said a thing about it. So there are a lot of things we could say about that. But this to say the real network of Southern Baptists is called the Southern Baptist Convention, why would a conservative hero like Al Mohler have a problem with a conservative Baptist network? Isn't that exactly how you made a name for yourself, Dr. Mohler, in the Southern Baptist Convention, was as some sort of wonderful conservative hero? Doesn't that seem a little weird? That yeah, seems a little weird to me. Let's see, who else? Oh, let's see, Dean and Sarah... I don't know who he is, but he's a pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Tallahassee, Florida, put out something I can't even read. Not in full, because it just isn't appropriate for Christian radio. But he said this new Baptist network thing is about love of Trump and being, well, let's just say hurt about Paige Patterson. Don't be fooled. Quote, inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture, unquote. Then do video of right wing political talk that has nothing to do with scripture and an unbeliever could agree with. Okay, bitter much? Can't people just form a network about the Great Commission? What's the problem there, bud? Oh, and Beth Moore, let's see. Beth Moore tweeted out this. I hear and understand what you are saying, Bart. This is to Bart Barber, I think, who, who tweeted something out earlier and she was responding. She said, but none of us obeys all that is said in our inerrant scriptures. Many of us don't discipline our children with rods, for instance. Most Baptist women I know don't wear head coverings, nor do their men raise holy hands. Okay, so apparently biblical inerrancy is an issue for her. And then we have Dwight McKissick. Dwight McKissick is the African-American pastor from Texas who's always putting up, you know, race-based resolutions. I mean, trying to be, you know, politically correct on racial issues, ad, you know, ad, not ad nauseum, I wouldn't say that, but he's always on the forefront. He's a big progressive. And he had problems with this, and he said... <laughs> <laughs> this is just weird. He said, and just as the Confederate Army opposed social justice for the slaves, the Confederate Baptist Network opposes social justice. They're not a Confederate Baptist Network. I can't see a self-respecting black pastor joining this group. They are openly opposing the three SBC professors in the Kingdom Diversity Initiative at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can see this is, this is going to be a sticking point, I think, for some of these people. What was really hilarious was the editorializing in Baptist Press where they just tried to cream the conservative Baptist network. And they've hit a nerve, all right. We're going to come back. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Speakers including Dr. Everett Piper, Joe Dallas, Dr. Quentin Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians, and Greg Burt from the California Family Council will all reveal the social, political, and spiritual threats to the church from this movement. They'll offer powerful biblical teaching and encouragement for the battle ahead. You'll hear testimonies from ex-homosexuals whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and learn how to answer common arguments that promote homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference and outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City. And take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's Voice. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I was telling you about the launch of this Conservative Baptist Network. Don't miss my interview tomorrow with Brad Jerkovich. He's the spokesman for the Conservative Baptist Network. And over 2,000 people, I guess, have already joined this thing. They've had a nerve in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is drifting leftward. And you can see some of these elites on Twitter beginning to lose it. <laughs> like, I love it. It's awesome. I love when Bible-believing Christians say, you're not going to take our denomination down the tubes as you embrace all of your wokeness. We're not going that way. And we're going to stay here and we're going to make sure that our denomination stays on the word of God and the word of God alone. Praise the Lord for these people. I'm thrilled about it. I was mentioning Baptist Press, which is it's such a propaganda arm for the Southern Baptist Convention. It's I hate to say that, but they really are. And I guess all church news services serve that function. They try to do a good little job defending everything that the denomination does. But this piece that was written by Diana Chandler called it a group described as grassroots Southern Baptist announced the formation of the conservative Baptist network. They put grassroots in scare quotes. They are described as, quote, grassroots, close quote. What is that? <laughs> okay. And then they, let's see, they name drop Paige Patterson. D- don't really know why that was necessary. I guess they're just trying to go for maximum freak out. And then they, ha- they have a quote here from the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee President and CEO, Ronnie Floyd. But here's how Diana Chandler phrases it. In response to potential division the network's founding could cause... They, they, they want to focus on the Great Commission. Why would that be division that would come from that? 
Isn't that what you guys are all about? So it's just a really bad story. So stay tuned. It's going to be a very interesting 2020. By the way, I want to wind this into it because this kind of relates to it. You know, I graduated from Baylor University. I was not a Southern Baptist. I learned a lot about Southern Baptist politics while I was there. I covered religion for the Lariat, which was the student newspaper. I really, someday I should tell the whole story about how I got into covering the Southern Baptist Convention, even back as a college student. But Baylor is a very interesting place and it's changed a lot over the years and in many ways, but they always used to tell us at Baylor how dangerous the fundamentalists were. And I got to a point where I said, what? You know, and I kind of looked into it and then I realized that the liberals at Baylor were the ones with the problem. It wasn't the fundamentalists who were scary. It was really the people who were always putting them down that seemed to be more scary. But listen to this. Here's what happens. When you start drifting leftward, this is what ends up happening. And this is the oldest Baptist university founded in 18 1845 and you now Baylor is now they select their own trustees but there's still involvement with the Baptist General Convention of Texas but I want to play for you a report about a chapel service at Baylor which is still you know billing itself as a Christian university a Baptist university and you got to listen to KWTX reporting on a recent chapel speaker at Baylor University listen to cut one and a lot of people are really mad. I know a lot of alumni are pretty mad. I mean, she didn't pray to God, and that's what's most offensive. Wednesday, during chapel at Waco Hall, guest speaker Caitlin Curtis asked students to pray. So she began prayer um, in the service in the name of Mother Mystery. And I looked up, you know, and looked around, and there's 1,200 freshmen bowing their heads still uh, to this thing that's not God. Sophomore Jake Nider says Curtis's speech was filled with strange stories. She said that she went to, for example, Lake Michigan and dipped a leaf of tobacco in the water and Mother Earth spoke to her audibly. And I'm just like, what is this? Local pastor and former Baylor Regent Ramiro Pena says he's heard from students and he believes Baylor made a mistake inviting Curtis to speak. Hopefully uh, the administration can learn from this mistake and uh, grow from it and make corrective action because um, praying to Mother Mystery is a big miss. But Pena believes Baylor will do the right thing in the days to come. So I am very confident that Baylor as a Christian university wants to do the right thing in agreement with its Christian foundation and principles. Okay, all I can say is this is where woke takes you. This is where woke takes you. I don't believe it was a mistake. Well, I do believe it was a mistake, but I don't think that they mistakenly invited her. Somebody invited her. Somebody signed off on it. What in the world are you doing having somebody citing Mother Earth at a Christian university chapel service? That, you know, what is that? That's why the Southern Baptist Convention fight is important, folks. That's why it's important. Because you can't allow this sort of nonsense to go on and try to make the case that it's okay for Christians to tolerate it. It is not okay for Christians to tolerate it. And if anything encourages me, it's been the backlash from a lot of the alumni, myself included, and the students as well. So praise God for that. Now, I also want to get this in if I can. I'm going to be able to play a couple of these, I think. But when I look at examples of people who are really upholding the word of God, I have to mention the Reverend Dr. Robert M. Grant Jr. I didn't know who he was until just a few days ago. He is pastor at the Father's Way Church in Warrenton, Virginia. And he really got the Democrats upset when he appeared at the House of Delegates. He was doing a prayer, but he ended up really taking them to task on the life issue and on the idea of so-called gay marriage. I want you to listen to cut three. 
I pray that you may understand that all life is precious and worthy of a chance to be born. God is a giver of life and people have no right or authority to take life. The unborn has rights and those rights need to be protected. They should never be denied the right to exist, the right to develop, or the right to have a family. The word of God has given us a warning. Woe to anyone who harms an innocent child. Every one of you sitting here today can guarantee these rights to these little innocent children of Virginia. They are in their trimasters as we speak. Please do not ignore their little voices. I pray for a heart change today. And may the Lord God have mercy upon this leadership. Amen. Beautiful, right? Beautiful to stand up in Virginia where they're getting so insanely liberal and to say something that bold. And then he tops it off by dealing with marriage. This was great. Cut four. I pray that this chamber will uphold the Virginia family, that the bills and laws being passed will always protect the biblical traditional marriage as God instructed the first man and the first woman in the Bible, that the two shall be one flesh that a man and a woman shall be fruitful and multiply. We should never rewrite God's, uh, we should never rewrite what God has declared. If a state wants to use God's law, then it needs to be respected. If, you're, if it's not yours to change or alter its wording, the Bible is the copyright of God's word. Marriage is, just joined a bi- marriage is to join a biological male and a biological female in holy matrimony not to provoke the almighty God. Without laws to protect traditional marriage, Virginia will reduce, be reduced to increase fatherless children and welfare victims and homelessness tax burden to us all. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Oh boy, they did not like that at all. They did not like that at all. Now over at virginiamercury.com, they reported this. Democrats walked off the floor of the House of Delegates when this pastor gave that opening prayer and delivered stinging remarks condemning abortion and gay marriage and said that God would bring his wrath against those who don't follow biblical principles. One delegate yelled from the Democratic side of the chamber, is this a prayer or a sermon? You know, it's truth. It's truth. That's what it is. And I was thinking to myself as I was listening to this man saying what he was saying, this is what every pastor in America needs to be saying, not only in their churches from their pulpits, but in the House of Delegates or in the legislatures or in the city council chambers. Get out there, pastors, and preach the truth. And it is the truth that the wrath of God is abiding on this country as we see our country going further and further and further and further down into an open sewer, moral sewer. I'm so encouraged to see somebody with that kind of boldness and that kind of spiritual strength to stand up. And he knew, no doubt, what kind of reaction he would get. Democrats, the story says, were sharply critical of the prayer's tone, calling it a breach of the normal protocols for guest clergy. Delegate Luke Torian, a Democrat, said it was totally disrespectful to all of us, all of us in this house. But I tell you what we need in this country is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. You know, truth might be offensive to the sinner, but it's the only thing that's going to set him free. I take that from an old Kelly Willard song, but I love that lyric because it's true. Truth is offensive to the sinner. You know, 
God laid a cornerstone, which is a stumbling block. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the sinner because Jesus Christ testifies to man, woman, and child that our deeds are evil. And he warns us to repent of the wrath of God to come, to seek forgiveness, to accept his free gift of salvation that he secured for us by shedding his blood for our sins and being raised again on the third day for our justification. It's the greatest news mankind will ever receive. And we need a hundred thousand pastors like this man saying the same thing. And it doesn't matter if people don't want to hear it. It's the only thing that is going to set sinners free to hear the truth from God's word and to hear the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks a lot for listening to Janet Meffer today. Today.